0: Well, good to see you all. I'm going to continue our series that we've been in called On Earth As It Is in Heaven. Um, And Ben, this is not actually in the order I put them in, but I want to start, uh, I want to tell you a story. If you go ahead and throw up that picture of Momo, this is Momo. Momo uh, belongs to my best friend and his wife, who at the time that this picture was taken were our roommates. So when we were in Champaign-Urbana as uh, <coughs> less than financially well-off interns and college students, as you would expect, we needed some roommates. And so our little 800-square-foot house, which we didn't even have, there was another tenant in the basement, uh, two bedrooms, one bath, you can kind of tell in the picture, like the TV had to sit on top of the piano because that's how much room there was in the living room. Uh, and Momo and his, or her parents came to live with us. Now, her name's actually Molina, but I've just always called her Momo. And Momo, which is not unique to her probably, but she was a little more extreme, particularly really loved feeding time. And I don't know how else to say it, but Momo has no self-control, no restraint. In other words, she will eat and eat with vigor whatever amount of food she can get her paws and her mouth on well my friend nick who lived with us at the time had a little bit of an honorary streak now i'm not saying that i do or don't uh but <coughs> he began to train momo to know the word food and so you could be anywhere in the house and say momo food and i mean now i, I don't know if you can tell she's a dachshund or or some people call a long dog you know And so she's she's short and long. As soon as you would say that word food, and this is hardwood floors, you know, it's like her paws are going fast. She can't get, she's just doing everything she can to beeline to her food bowl in the kitchen. Well, uh, and we were pretty diligent as being good roommates, you know, helping, you know, make sure her food, because she would come asking, you know, she's supposed to eat at 4 o'clock at a quarter till she's letting you know. That time's almost here. Well, as it happened, being busy young interns one time, None of us were home, and somehow things didn't get properly secured. And Momo found the food bag, and Momo ate, and Momo ate, and Momo ate, ate, until the end result, Momo swelled up to, and this is not an exaggeration, it was a medical emergency, Momo swelled up to almost three times her normal size. She just, I mean, when I say she engorged herself, it is not an exaggeration. And so then Momo had to be on a restrictive diet and have some medical care to get her back to her happy self. Well, you might be wondering, what in the world does this story of Momo have to do with where we're going today? Well, I think for a lot of us, that picture of, and I can just imagine, you know, in Momo's mind, it's like, this is a thing I've been asking for the whole time. I just want to have as much food as I want to have. And it's like, you know, to her, that probably looked like freedom, right? Like, I, I, I'm going to satisfy all my desires. I, I'm completely free. Nobody's here to stop me. The bag is open, and I'm just going to eat. Well, <clears throat> what we're going to look at today is the idea of kingdom freedom. And I probably don't have to say a whole lot to tell you, Momo's not a good example <laughs> of kingdom freedom freedom, but I think she'll help us understand the ways that some of us have related to that word. And hopefully through the Bible and the help of the Holy Spirit, we can gain a new understanding of what freedom actually means and how it can benefit us in the kingdom. Let's go ahead and just pray before we go to the scripture. Father, in Jesus name, we thank you. For your presence, we thank you for the presence of each one here and those joining us online. We thank you for your word. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for just being present as you've already been meeting with us and moving. Would you come now and breathe upon your word? Would you bring peace as we look to you and your truth? Would you teach us? And more than anything, Father, would you... Help us to be more free in you, that when we leave here today, we feel a little lighter, a little more at peace, a little more free, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I hope you enjoyed the Momo story. I'm going to back up and give you just a quick reminder of kind of our premise for the whole series. Uh, When we started this series, I made this statement. The kingdom of God is our theological center. It informs our worldview and it empowers our witness for Christ. And that's just sort of a simple statement I've I've made to give us an idea where we're going. But just to remind you, as uh, people who are part of a movement of churches called the Vineyard, this is an important truth for us, that, that this idea of the kingdom of God and, and seeing both the world and the scriptures and all the things in front of us through the lens of understanding the kingdom of God. And this is not something that's unique to us. It actually was Jesus' primary message. He came about announcing the good news that the kingdom of God has, has arrived, has come near, is arriving, is coming. And so we need to understand the world through that lens. We need to understand the world our worldview, and I don't have time to to teach on this today, but you know, there's this whole concept of we all have a worldview, whether you realize it or not, a a set of sort of presuppositions and assumptions and biases and things that affect how we view the world around us. And that's not a, a bad thing, but I think oftentimes those things are at work at a level that we're not even consciously aware of. And so A kingdom of God worldview might begin to cause you to rethink some things. It might begin to cause you to uh, go through what we would call a paradigm shift. In other words, you begin to realize, okay, I've had this worldview operating sort of below the surface, and I didn't realize how it was causing me to view things. But the way you realize that is by the power of the Holy Spirit, as you begin to to encounter the kingdom of God and begin to understand that there's a kingdom worldview and you begin to interact with that, suddenly, oh, you know, I always saw this thing this certain way, and now I'm realizing maybe there's a different way to see it. And so we just want to be aware that the kingdom of God is going to influence how we see the world and it's going to empower our witness for Christ. Now, to make another statement specific for today's message, because we're talking about kingdom freedom, And this was planned before, uh, you know, it's not planned specifically around 4th of July, but I thought, why not? You know, we're already thinking about freedom. And the statement or thesis for today's message is simply that we can be set free from the judgment of sin. Now, we're going to unpack what we mean by that. But in other words, I'm saying it is possible. It is possible to be set free from the judgment of sin and On the other side of that, be empowered to live by the Holy Spirit in real and total freedom. Now, we'll take some time to unpack that, but first, let's go to the Scripture, and if you have your Bible or a Bible device, you can flip to Romans 8. That's primarily where we're going to be today. Uh, We're going to look at a few different passages, but we're going to start out just reading the first couple verses of Romans 8. I'll have these on the screen for you. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation today, and I love especially the, the heading in, in my particular Bible above this chapter is life in the Spirit. Well, we call ourselves a people of the Spirit, and so this might be an important passage for us. It's actually probably important for all believers, but especially for those of us who claim to be people of the Spirit. This uh, familiar verse, verse 1, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, and because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. This is what we're going to dig into today. The life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Let's go ahead and jump down to verse 9. And I want to read a little bit more before we start digging in. So basically, uh, I'm just going to summarize. We read those first couple of verses, and then he begins talking about how the law was unable to save you, the law of Moses, and basically sets up. So this is why Jesus did what he did when he came and fulfilled the law and made a new covenant and made things uh, which we are now invited into possible. If we go all the way down to verse 9, it says, now he's speaking to believers here, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, those who do have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. In other words, he's connecting that that oft-repeated thing. you know, Everyone who becomes a disciple of Christ has the Holy Spirit living in them. Right, so and when we we affirm that uh, historic and orthodox truth that uh, when you become a believer in Jesus, when you become his disciple, his Holy Spirit comes and actually uh, sets up residence in your in your heart. Now, not physically. I used to listen to a community said it's not. He said I used to picture you know Jesus is like sitting in your left ventricle watching blood go by. Like, why do we use that analogy of, of the heart? And I thought it was interesting the way he explained it because it's actually uh, a little unique to our culture it's because in our culture the heart is the seat of emotion uh, in other cultures the seat of emotion might be in other places and i'm some of the examples that are coming to mind are not appropriate to share so we're not going to go there right now but jesus comes to live in your heart in other words to set up residence to begin to bring about the realities of his kingdom in your inner life now he doesn't want to stop there part of what we think about when we think about the kingdom of god is that the holy spirit also wants to uh sort of come out in other words he doesn't want to set up residence and say all right you know you've got your your fire insurance you you've got god now and so uh just hold on to him until you get to the end of this earth and uh, when you pass away then you'll you'll come to heaven and, and you'll be good That's true, but that's not the whole of the story. The reality of the kingdom of God is that as we enter more fully into God's rule and reign, as we described last week, that the reality of the Jesus that lives in you can begin to have more and more of an effect on the world around you, uh, on your circumstances, on your well-being, on your relationships. And one of the ways that I like to distinguish this is that all believers have the Holy Spirit in them for their own benefit. He is your helper. He's your comforter. uh, He's there to help you in whatever way you need. The Holy Spirit also likes to work on us. And if you can, just following that word picture, he's in us and he's on us for the benefit of others. This is one of the reasons why, and maybe you've not experienced this, but oftentimes when uh, someone feels and has been affirmed in a call to pastoral ministry or a leadership role or a deacon or whatever different uh, type of spiritual authority roles exist, you will often see that there's sort of a a commissioning where other believers will, we call it the laying on of hands. We will lay hands on someone and pray. Well, part of that is just, you know, to bless and to acknowledge what god has called someone to but the other reason is we're actually asking the holy spirit to come on that person to operate on and around and through them in a way that actually benefits other people so so there's that distinction and so this is where some people get tripped up say you know well if you don't you know exhibit the fruits of the spirit you must not have the holy spirit well it's possible to have the holy spirit and not really do anything with him i mean you know but but what we want to move towards is actually letting him work things out actually move on us in us and through us all right let's go back to the passage here we're going to jump to verse 10 and christ who lives within you (coughs) So even through your body even though, sorry. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life. Because you have been made right with God. Verse 11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Let's read one more verse. I don't think I gave you that one. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, Going on to verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Now, let's pause there for a minute. What is he talking about when he says the urges that your sinful nature urges you to do? Well, we know that before coming to Jesus, we probably did things that didn't follow the Jesus way. Right? And you might be thinking, I still do. I'm probably with you on that. But but there's a difference. See, prior to coming to a realization of a saving knowledge of Jesus, you're actually enslaved to that sin nature. In other words, if Jesus hadn't come and begin setting things to right, we were enslaved beyond the point of helping ourselves. Now, we like to think in our American culture, well, you know, if I have a problem with something, I just need to go down to Barnes & Noble and get a few self-help books, and I can probably work myself out of any problem. And, you know, sometimes that's true. I'm not saying none of those things are helpful. But when it comes to our nature... We could not work ourselves out of the spot we were in. We read last week about how God would get you out of a tight spot. It's not something we're capable of doing on our own. And so when you're enslaved to something, you're obligated to follow it. It's your master. Like there, there's a level of obligation here. And, and this is what we're trying to, to begin to dial into, is that freedom in Christ doesn't mean you no longer have temptation. I wish it did. <laughs> Don't you? It doesn't mean that the things that used to entice you will no longer be around and will have no effect on you. Again, like that would be nice. But this passage would tell us, but we're no longer obligated. In other words, freedom is not about the ability to engorge myself, as Momo did, in sinful desires and then get spiritual help to get back to health because I know Jesus will forgive me. Now, he will. There's nothing you've ever done or will do that he's not capable and willing and ready to forgive you for. In other words, you can't mess it up so bad that you can't get back on track. But that's not what freedom is. Freedom is... I now, by the help and power of the Holy Spirit, have the ability to actually overcome that desire and not walk down that path. Now, we don't do that every time. I'm not perfect at it. But, but this is what freedom in the kingdom of God is. It's the empowerment to be able to not fall to those temptations. And it's a progressive work but I just want to give you this starting baseline to, to begin to believe that it's possible. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not expecting perfection. But I'm saying if we approach whatever area of life it is that tends to trip you up, and our, and our mindset and our worldview is, well, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, so I guess... Here I am again, and Lord, will You forgive me? And He will, every time. Like I'm telling you, like if that's where you're at, it's okay. You can be honest about where you're at. But what I'm trying to invite you into is that it is possible to be free from that obligation, from that feeling of I have no other choice. You know, I'm just I'm just too I'm just too drawn to this. All right, we'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 13. For if you live by its dictates, meaning that sinful nature and desire, you will die. We know the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. In other words, if you follow that path far enough, the inevitable conclusion, and he's talking about spiritual death there. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. Now you notice there, He's not telling you to put to death a sinful nature. You know why? Because he already did that. See, some of us come to this thing, you know, we, we, you use that picture of, of the old person and the new person, you know, and, and Corinthians would tell us, you know, behold, I, I'm a new creation, all things are, are made new. The oldest, pa- you know, we, we, we probably know that passage. But some of us are, are dragging around a dead person, And trying to re kill him or her every day. Well, I messed up. I guess that's just, you know, that's just the old me rising up again. It says, put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. In other words, there are things that you are familiar with because of who you used to be. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you're not that anymore. Even when you feel like it, even when you mess up and do things that are more in line with who you used to be, you are not that anymore. That old person is dead. Not mostly dead. Completely dead. Not injured and maimed and dragging along. with No, dead. As dead as dead can be. And yet, because our flesh has not been like fully renewed and we're still familiar with those deeds and with those spiritual realities, we sometimes have to put to death those deeds. And verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Now, you might be totally sick and tired of this illustration, but it fits so perfectly here. If you are led by the Spirit of God and you are a child of God, He is no more disappointed in you when you mess up and do one of those old deeds that are in line with your old nature than I am when my kid who's learned to walk stumbles and falls down. He's not looking at you saying, You sorry, rascal, I told you this 15 times. When are you going to get it right? Nope. He just scoops you up and says, That's all right. Let's try again. Let's keep going. Like what I'm trying to say is he's leading you. He's teaching you how to walk by the Spirit. He's not leaving it up to you. You don't have to deal with the sinful person you used to be. You don't have to figure out on your own how to walk led by the Spirit. He's leading you. He's helping you. And because you are his child, he's more than happy to pick you up, dust you off, turn you around, and keep you going one time, a thousand times. The, the biblical, so it's seven times 70, you know, or seven, like, as the kids would say, well, just say infinity. You know, it's like he doesn't, he doesn't exhaust his patience. He's not. Now, here's the other thing. Oftentimes our emotions are not fully renewed. You know, so I'm going to be real honest with you. Like when my kids make the same mistake over and over again, I don't always have infinite patience. No, you're shocked because you probably all do. But you know, I might be great the first three times, and the fourth time I might just be a little less kind. You know, I might just there might start to be a little edge in my voice. God's not like that. See, we're we're being led by Him and trained to become more like Him. He was not trained in the emotions that we were trained in. I don't know how often we realize it, but all of us from a young age by the effects of the world by relatives by being raised by other humans who are also not perfect how many of you remember growing up and crossing that threshold of you know thinking that you know when you're when you're real young you know oftentimes you know mom or dad or your whoever your parental figure is you know it's like they can do no wrong like they're they're perfect whatever they say must be true you know and at some point you begin to realize oh they're not perfect. They've messed up too. You know, but the reality is we've all been trained and affected by I'm just going to say the ways of the world. The emotional patterns of the world this focus on 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 me myself and I on 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 making me number 1. You see, <laughs> this is one of the ways that the enemy tries to to push back. The biggest problem in the world is that people on the face of the earth wake up every day to live for themselves. And the kingdom of God says, I have a better way. Why don't you come and live for me? And yes, you have to die. Yes, you have to... I don't mean physically. I mean spiritually. Yes, you have to give up some things. Yes, you have to be willing to be transformed, to let me heal your emotional scars, to to come into those places of of pain and trauma and begin to speak life and healing, and that's probably going to be uncomfortable. Like, Yes, it's hard work. But you know what the benefit is on the other side? Once you realize, I don't have to do this, I can actually let him live through me, I will get to experience more joy. And I love the word joy because joy is not about happiness, right? Happiness is, I got what I wanted and that pleased me. Or, you know, I'm in a good mood today because nothing went wrong. Joy is totally different from that. Joy says that no matter what happens to me, I have a foundation that is so unshakable that even if my emotions get affected by circumstances in the moment, it doesn't change my reality. It doesn't change the fact that I am a child of God, that I know where this journey leads to. I know my destination. I have a home in God. And even though things aren't perfect here, I know that that reality is mine. That the reality, that, that the God... You know, we, we, we sometimes don't talk a lot about the, the majesty and greatness of God, like to actually be awed by the fact that, you know, He created everything. And yet He knows us into... Like, it's this great big paradox, you know. In our, especially Western thinking, it's like the, the higher you attain in position the more removed you're going to be from, you know, the the commoners, the everyday people. You know, you're going to stick, well, God's not like that. He, He is, and we've said this before, entirely and completely set apart and holy and above all else. He's the Lord of Lords. He's God Almighty. I mean, that list could go on and on and on and on. And yet, his most important relationship is an intimate one with you his creation, his children. He wants to lead you as his children. He wants to teach you how to walk. And, you know, if you're at the stage that you feel like, well, all I can do is crawl, you know what? That's okay, too. We have to learn how to crawl, oftentimes to get to walking. But the point today, the, 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 I think the direction that this passage is taking us is to begin to open ourselves up to understand that there is a freedom that's available that's like that joy, that it's not touched by circumstances. Again, uh, our American culture tends to be overly preoccupied with individualism. In other words, to be truly free, it's what, what was the old slogan uh, that takes you, don't tread on me? My brother used to have a shirt because we had relatives that lived there, you know, so it's like, don't tread on me. Well, that, that whole premise, you know, is like, you can be as free as you want as long as you don't infringe on my freedoms. It's like, I, I, I have rights, and, and I'm not saying that rights don't exist. But what I'm saying is, kingdom freedom goes beyond that because actually in the kingdom, we actually begin to lay our rights down. It's not that we don't have them, but we voluntarily lay them down because we trust the one we're giving them to. Now, it doesn't mean that I turn into a doormat and let everybody walk all over me and do whatever they want and I just got to lay down and take it. I, I'm, I'm not saying that or suggesting that. Healthy boundaries are good. Healthy self-confidence and image is, is, is good. good. But the ultimate goal is not to have my rights respected. The ultimate goal is to lay down everything that I am in exchange for what he has and to let him live through me. And, and when my rights get infringed upon, rather than turning and retaliating against that person, who I'll remind you is also a, a broken and deceived person like you, at least how you once were, or or whatever, like you gotta remember where that hurt people hurt people. So rather than turning and retaliating and and pushing back, saying, you know, you you stepped on the area that's not okay with me. Hey, Jesus I imagine if they knew what I knew, they probably wouldn't have done that. And I thank you, Father, that even in spite of the fact that these circumstances probably didn't line up with your perfect will in this moment that what I have is unshakable. That even though that wasn't fair and that wasn't right, and it's okay to say that, you're greater. And I'm not going to allow how somebody else is treating me to determine how I'm doing. Now, that's hard. I'm, I'm not pretending that that's an easy thing to do. And how do we do that? We become so rooted in Jesus Christ we, just like we talked about on Father's Day, we run to our Father. We get to know Him intimately. We spend time in the community of other people that are on this journey. And as iron sharpens iron, we become more like Jesus. And as we do that, we will become more and more cemented in that unshakable foundation of Jesus Christ. That whenever circumstances inevitably unravel, I don't feel knocked over. Uh, the, somebody said this to me one time, and you know, it, it's almost silly to even say it, but I, it was actually profoundly impactful for me. Did you know that when a difficult circumstance comes your way suddenly and it knocks you down or knocks you out of whack or gets you off your groove, whatever phrase you want to use, did you know it doesn't knock God off his throne? Did you know he doesn't go into panic mode saying, I didn't see that coming. Well, I better rush down there and take care of that. No. The, 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 I, I keep coming back to this idea that, that the kingdom of God, when all the things in our world are being shaken, and now we don't have to make too long of a list, things are being shaken in a lot of different ways and realms it's just there's a lot less stability there's a lot less certainty things that we took for granted years back we're holding a little more open hands like you know what i thought that would never change and now it has that can be difficult that that's a shaking that's shifting sands things are moving the kingdom of god is unshakable there's nothing that can happen on the face of this earth, and and I I am afraid. Now there's encouragement in this. I'm afraid that the shaking we've experienced the last few years is not like the worst of it. <laughs> right? Like I, I I think it's 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 kind of like when when my wife gave birth. You know, there's there's contractions, there's there's pain and things. Those things kind of tend to crescendo before the big event comes. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, some left-behind. We could talk about that privately sometime, because I have opinions. <laughs> 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 I know, right? But what I'm talking about is it's possible more things could be shaken in the coming days, weeks, years, decades. It, it could things could shake harder than they shook last year. I don't know. But the reality that we're living into is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And it's the only reality worth living towards because it says that I am still safe and secure and loved and known regardless how much the world shakes, regardless how difficult my circumstances get.